You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to this Tuesday edition of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. It is Tuesday. I'm so glad to have you with us today. I see we got a good number of people already online. I see Lori and Victoria Alexis, good to have you, Pamela and Monica and Deborah, Evelyn, good to have you with us, Joel O'Bray, Punchy, good to have you with us today. Tag a friend, let them know that we're alive. You get us on Facebook, you can get on, on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. You can get us on Mike Moore Ministries. And remember, the first of the year in January, we're going to be transferring over to Mike Moore Ministries. It's good to have you with us today. Listen, we got a lot going on. Listen, Thanksgiving is next week. Happy Thanksgiving. I pray in advance that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving season and try your best now. Try your best to not think about what you don't have, but think about and thank God for what you do have. And we just speak a great season for you and comfort if you've had loved ones to depart, strength for you. And you're going to have to, you're going to have to stand uh, against that grief during those seasons in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now we won't be having our podcast uh, next Tuesday. It's going to be the Thanksgiving week and you're going to take your break and it's going to be great. My wife is going to follow the conclusion of this podcast. So on November the 29th, I want you to make a note, November the 29th, my wife, Pete, is going to be ministering on the How to Win podcast, and she's going to also minister on December the 6th. So make a note of that. Listen, we have... I want to say this and announce this before we get into our podcast today. We have a monumental event about to take place in our church, Faith Chapel, Birmingham Faith Chapel, Columbus, Georgia. We have a monumental event. We will be passing the torch of leadership. And we will be having a passing the torch ordination service for my son, Michael K., Friday, December the 2nd at 630 at the Word Dome. I want you to make a note, put that on your calendar. We're going to have special guests. We're going to have ordination service, special speakers. It's going to be monumental. And we're inviting all of the Faith Chapel family and all of you that may not be a member of a church, but you're connected to us in the body of Christ. We want all of you to come out Friday night. 
6.30 at the Word Dome, December the 2nd. We're having a passing the torch ceremony. You've got to come up. It's going to be absolutely amazing. We're going to be honoring our incoming pastor uh, beginning that night. And I'm very excited about it. So I want you to put that on your calendar, December the 2nd, 630 at the Word Dome, passing the torch ordination service for my son, Michael Kenneth Moore. It's going to be great. Amen. Well, let's get in our podcast uh, lesson for today. We're teaching on real love. This is a four lesson series, and we're in our fourth and final lesson Four lesson series, our fourth and final uh, lesson. And I mentioned this uh, in our last session that in the beginning of the year, January, I'm going to be transitioning and I'm going to be talking uh, primarily on the, on the theme of leadership. So that's going to be good, too. This is lesson four entitled Real Love. Now, the objective of this series has been to help you to discover the difference between real love and counterfeit love. I'll give you a brief review. In lesson one, we, we discover and discuss that real love is unconditional, but it's not codependent. Lesson two we discuss real love is caring, but it's not controlling or manipulative. And then lesson three, we said that real love is generous, but it's not wasteful or responsible. In this final lesson on real love, we're going to discover and discuss that real love is passionate but it's not selfish. Good to have you with us, Anne. Good to have you with us, A. Callens, Jay Callens. Good to have you with us. Listen, it's going to be absolutely wonderful today. You can let us know where you're from, uh, and you can also uh, text us any questions, any comments that you have. And at the end of the lesson, we will answer your questions. Now, real love is passionate. Wow, passionate. Real love is passionate, but it's not selfish. Sometimes people have passion in their relationships, but it is selfish-based. So let's talk about passionate. What does the word passionate mean? Passionate means strong feelings for a person, situation, or thing. To have strong feelings for a person, place, or thing. Passion or passionate means intense emotions, compelling enthusiasm, and commitment and actions. Now, we should all have passion, passion in our relationship. We should be a love with passion. Now, listen at this. Mark chapter 12, verse 30, in the New King James Version, it, uh, the scripture says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. What is the scripture instructing us to do? It is instructing us, you and I believers, to love God passionately. We're to love him passionately. What does it mean to love God with all our heart? It means to love God based on what the word says about him, what the word says about him. Passion is consistent because it's based on what the word says. And God is love and God is good and God is faithful and God is kind. God is generous and he never changes. So we can love him with passion. We can be passionate in our love and we can be very consistent in our love because God never changes. So to love with the heart, whether it be God or others, is to love someone based off what the word says. Secondly, we're to love God with our soul. That's our emotions. We're to love him with our feelings. God wants us to feel love toward him. Love with our will. God wants us to choose to love him. And then we're to love God with our minds. That's our thoughts. And meditating the word, spending quality time in the word helps you and I to love God and to think about God. When we don't spend quality time in the word, we think about the world. We think about the things that we're dealing with in our lives. But when we meditate the word, spend quality time in the word, our thoughts will be centered on God. We love him with our thoughts. And then we're to love him with our strength. That's our energy, our efforts, our actions. We're to love him with our energy, our efforts, and our actions. So love is passionate. It's passionate. Now, passionate love is evidence by our commitment. Let's see how it's evidenced. It's evidenced by our commitment in times of adversity. Good to have you with us, Felicia. Good to have you with us. You love God in times of adversity. That's how your passion is evidenced by loving someone in adversity. Sometimes couples fall out with each other in times of adversity. No, but when you're passionate, you're committed to love in times of adversity. Isaiah 43, 2, listen what the Lord says. He says, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And he says, through the rivers, they will not overflow you. He says, when you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. And you shall not even have a scorch, a smell of smoke on you. God says in adversity, I'm going to be with you. And passionate love is evidenced by commitment in adversity. Now, that's how we're to love God, but that's how we're to love one another. We're to love one another with passion, and passionate love is evidence 
by our commitment to love our spouses, our commitment to love our children, our commitment to love our co-workers, our commitment to love our classmates, our teachers, our commitment to love our brothers in Christ, our sisters in Christ, others, those who are unsaved, we're committed to love in times of adversity. And that's the thing that sets our love apart. We don't just quit in times of adversity. We're committed in times of adversity. Compassionate love is evidenced by our awareness of details. Our awareness of details. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 and 30, it says that sparrows don't fall to the ground without God being aware of them. It says the numbers of our hair are all numbered. You see, God is, 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 is so in love with us that he, he's aware of the details of our lives. A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground without God being aware of it. The numbers of our hair, well, I don't have any hair, but there are other details in my life that God is intimately aware of. He's aware of the details of your life. He's aware of your thoughts. He's aware of your feelings. He's aware of your actions. He's aware of your reactions. He's aware of your needs. He's aware of your desires. When we love people passionately, we're aware of the details of their lives. When you love your wife passionately, you notice when she has a new hairdo. You notice when she's done something different. You notice him. You notice when he's having a challenge in his life. Why? You notice him when there's situations. Attention to detail. Passionate love is evidenced by an attention to details. Passionate love is evidenced because it enables us, when we love passionately, it enables us to live a regret-free life. When I'm passionate in my love, I want to love my wife. I want to love my children. I want to love them with passion. I want to love people with passion. So I'm going to be committed. You're going to be committed in times of adversity. You're going to be aware of details. But you're also going to live in such a way where you don't have any regrets. I uh, gave a thought. I keep thoughts in a book. And sometimes I'll tweet those thoughts. I give those thoughts. And I said this some time ago. The way to live a regret-free life is to be focused on the moment. You need to be focused, focus on the right now. Focus, give it your best shot in the moment, in the right now, and then you will live a regret-free life. Regret is looking back and wishing you had done things differently. God doesn't want you to live a regretful life. And we talked about that Sunday in our our Sunday services. 
regret looking back and wishing you had done things differently. The problem with regret is you can't change the past. You can't change it. But right now you can begin to look at your relationships, the, the significant relationships that you have. Give it your best shot in the moment, in the moment, in the now, and you can live a regret-free life. So passionate, real love is passionate. It's passionate. It is evidenced by commitment and adversity. It is evidenced by an awareness of detail. It enables us to live a regret-free life. And we can live a regret-free life, Lily. We really can do it. We really can live a regret-free life. Now, we've said that real love is passionate. We talked about that. But it's not selfish. Real love is passionate, but it's not selfish. Not selfish. Say that. Real love is passionate, but it's not selfish. Now, selfishness is the number one roadblock to walking in real love. The number one roadblock. The number one roadblock to spouses operating in real love. And see, real love should be should be manifested in your home life. Husbands should walk in real love toward their wives. Wives should walk in real love toward their husbands. Parents should walk in real love toward their children. Children should walk in real love toward their parents. We should walk in real love in our worldly affairs, in our everyday human affairs, natural affairs. But the number one roadblock in relationships, period, and in walking in love is selfishness. It is the root cause of every divorce. It is the root cause of breakup of significant relationships. Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 15 broke off a relationship that God had instituted. And Acts 13, God said, separate Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have uh, called them. God put Barnabas and Paul together. And yet in Acts 15, they broke off that relationship and went in different directions. And we have no evidence that they ever came back. And the very root of that breakup was selfishness. The very root of every breakup, every breakup, every divorce, every separation, the root, if you get down to the roots of it, down to the roots of it is selfishness. It is the number one roadblock to walking in love. My wife and I had marital problems early in our relationship. 
And she probably looked at me in a certain way, and I looked at her in a certain way, and we were both judging each other. But if you just boil it down, just boil it all down, our really problem on both sides, mine and hers, it was selfishness. It was selfishness. You want to have a healthy relationship, get out the selfishness. Listen at this. In order to love like God loves, and that's what we want to do, precious people. We want to love like God. We don't want to just be me. You know, somebody says, well, I just got to be me. That's the problem. That's the problem in the church. That's the problem in families. That's the problem in the world. We we just want to be me. I got to be me. I got to be me. No, 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 no. We want to love like God. We want to love like God. And if, listen at this statement now, make a mental note of it, in order to love like God, we have to step outside of me world. Did you hear that? In order to live like, love like God, if we're going to love with real love, and I'm, I want to love with real love, I'm committed to love with real love then we have to walk outside of, step outside of me world. You're never going to walk in what we've been teaching the last few weeks inside of me world. To walk in real love, you have to step outside of me world. Now that's tweetable. That's tweetable right there. I'm going to say it one more time. In order to walk in real love, in order to love like God, you and I must step outside of me world. Selfishness, here's another tweetable quote. Selfishness is me disease, is me disease. That's what selfishness is. It's a me disease. Have you contracted the me disease? Then you need to be delivered. Selfishness is me disease. Now let's look at selfishness. I want to give you the rest of the way. Six, six. Hey, Marion, good to have you with us. Good to have you with us. Raymond, good to have you with us. Good to have you with my brother. Good to have you with us today. Now listen at this. There are six major symptoms of selfishness, and I want you to evaluate as we walk you through it. Uh, I got a question here, that, and it's a good question, and I'm going to answer your question at the end, and you can send me your other questions here. Six major symptoms of selfishness. Number one, self-centeredness. I want you to self-evaluate. Selfishness is self-centeredness. In other words, interested in only one's own needs, desires, affairs, and accomplishments. Now watch this. Self-centeredness is being interested in only one's 
own needs, one's own desires, one's own affairs, one's own accomplishments. And you can tell, you can tell if you're around a group of people or you're in a setting and a person, they literally take over the conversation and they're primarily talking about themselves. They're talking about their needs, their desires, their affairs, their interests, their accomplishments. And they they spend most of the conversation talking about themselves. Then that's symptomatic of meanness disease, the meanness, me disease, self-centeredness, immaturity, immaturity. Selfishness, a symptom of selfishness is immaturity. Immaturity, especially, now follow me, especially in terms of when we don't get our way. Okay, okay. All of us, you and I, we all have our way. We have our way we want it done. We have our way we want it said. We have our way that we want it to happen. But what happens and how do you respond when you don't get your way? Even if your way is right, how do you respond? Okay, how do you respond when you don't get your way? How do you handle a no, N-O? How do you handle a no? Do you pout when you don't get a, when you get a no? Do you withdraw when you get a no? Do you get angry when you get a no? Do you decide I'm not going to play with you? You know, sometimes adults do that. We say, well, I'm not going to play with you. I'm through playing with you. I hold this position change. I hold attitude change. That's immaturity. And the way you measure immaturity is how you respond when you don't get your way. How do you respond in school relationships and church relationships and work relationships and family relationships? How do when you don't get your way, it doesn't happen the way you think it should happen, how do you respond? That's that's a place where you can evaluate how mature you are. Because sometimes you shouldn't get your way. I'm going to say that again. Sometimes in life and in our relationships, we shouldn't get our way. Now, I'm going to let that settle for a moment. There are times when you shouldn't get your way. How do you respond in that marriage when you don't get your way? How do you respond in that situation? Your parents, you don't get your way because they don't they don't agree with you. How do you respond at work when you don't get your way in school when you don't get your way? How do you respond when you don't get your way? Because there are sometimes I listen to me. I'm teaching you real love. Because most Christians are not walking in real love. We're walking in, I, we, we got to be me. This is me. This is how I do it. This is what I feel. 
We got to leave me world in order to walk in this. This is a different life that I'm teaching you. It's a different way of life. So how do you respond when you don't get your way? Now, I said something. I said some Alexis. I said this. And I'm just calling out names as I look there. I I said something. And I it was a curveball, but I, I don't. I'm going to come back and throw you a fastball. It's going to come right down the pipe. Curveball, there's a lot of movement in a curveball. It's kind of hard sometimes to hit a curveball. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to bring it right down the middle, a fastball. But I'm going to slow it down. There are times in our relationships that we should not get our own way. Things should not happen the way we want them to happen. Things should not go the way we prefer according to our judgment. You know why there are times when we should not get our way? Because if we always get our way, others never get their way. So life becomes what's good for me, what I want, what I think, and that's not real love. That's selfishness. If we, you and I, always get our way, it always has to go the way we think, the way we feel, my preference, my choice, then that's selfishness, precious people. That's selfishness. Because if you get your way all the time, then your wife doesn't get her way. Your husband doesn't get his way. Your children doesn't get that way. Your parents doesn't get their way. Your coworker doesn't get their way. If we get our way all the time. So immaturity is when I have to have my way and we throw a temper tantrum like a child because we want our way. Now, I'm talking now and I'm talking good. High five myself. High five you. Listen, we're talking about symptoms, and there's a lot of selfishness in the world. Symptoms of selfishness. Six major symptoms of selfishness. Number one, self-centeredness. Number two, immaturity. Let me know in the chat if you're getting some out of this. Is this is this something? Is this something that's helping you? Is this something that's speaking to you? Let me know in the chat if this is this making a difference. Now watch this. The third symptom of selfishness is insensitivity. Insensitivity. A lack of empathy not caring about what others think, feel, or need. When I'm not empathetic, if, if I don't feel, sometimes healthy relationships is about you being sensitive, you empathize, you put yourself in the other person's place, and, 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 and you, you, you're sensitive 
to what they thought thinking and what they feeling and what they need. And so in a discussion, you have to be listening to people. Sometimes we're not listening. We know what we think. We know what we need. We know what we want. And we're not even listening to the other person. So if you're not listening, you can't be sensitive because much of the time you will begin to appreciate what people think and feel and need by what, what they're saying. And we want to be sensitive to what they're, we want to listen to what they're saying so that we can be sensitive to what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they need. Because sometimes people don't tell you what they need, but they do. They, they tell you out of their emotions. They tell you out of their words. They tell you out of their body language. And so we have to be sensitive and we can't be sensitive if we're in, in what focus, in what focus, sensitive. And number four, stubbornness. Stubbornness is a symptom of selfishness. Stubbornness is the dog determination not to change. I'm right. I know I'm right. And if we have to divorce, bam, so be it. It is a dogged determination to not change. It's a dogged determination to not admit we were wrong. And it's not, it is not destructive to the relationship to admit that you were wrong. It is destructive to the relationship to be stubborn. Dogged determined to, 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 to not yield. Number five, and this is, this is a big one, Janice. I'm just calling out names as I see it uh, on my monitor there. Good to have you, Rosalind. Good to have you, Felicia. The fifth symptom of selfishness is competitiveness. Competitiveness whether it be in marriage, whether it be between siblings, there's competition. Competitiveness is attempting to equal or surpass others. It is desiring to be better than others. Better than others. Now, competitiveness is a is a symptom and is connected to uh, immaturity. I have three beautiful granddaughters. They are beautiful. They are gorgeous. They are wonderful. But yet they're kids, see? And so if one kid is given a gift, they look at their gift, but they're looking over at what the other one got. So now one gets a gift, other gets a gift, other gets a gift. And they're looking not just at their gift, but they're looking at what the other person's gift is, their, their other sister's gift is. And sometimes they get disturbed because they want that gift, you know. And, and, and unfortunately, sometimes we don't grow out of that. Even as adults, we're uh, competing with our siblings. I've seen it. We're competing with our spouses. 
We're competing with our co-workers. We're competing competitiveness, attempting to equal or surpass others, desiring to be better than others. And then the sixth symptom of selfishness is a sense of entitlement. I talked about it in a prior uh, podcast. This is to think I deserve special treatment with no responsibility. I deserve it with no responsibility and entitlement mentality. Now, I've listed six symptoms of selfishness. Real love is passionate, but it's not selfish. Now, self-evaluation questions. Let's close with some self-evaluation questions. And I am going to answer this question. I only got one, so you got to send it in now because I'm going to be closing in a few minutes. Um, If you have any questions and you want me to answer those questions, you can send it in now. But here's some self-evaluation questions as we close. Real love is passionate, but it's not selfish. We talked about both of them. So here's the questions. Is your passion for someone now, is it grounded in your own needs, comfort, pleasure, interest, or well-being? you, You say you love the person. You say you're passionate about the person. My question is, is your passion grounded in your own needs? Is your passion grounded in your own comfort, your own pleasure, your own interest, your own well-being? That's a question. I can't answer it for you. Second question, is your passion, your love should be passionate, is it rooted in pride and envy? Is it rooted in pride and envy? That's another question. My third question is, you say you're passionate. You, you're passionate about your love for your spouse. You're passionate about your love for your children. Who is or would be benefiting most from your passion? So who's benefiting, who's benefiting or would be benefiting most from your passion? You say you're passionate, but who's benefiting most out of this passion that you have? And then my final question. Is it difficult for you to speak to people that you were once close to? Is it difficult? There's a question. Only you can answer this. Is it difficult for you to speak to people you were once close to? And I'm here, I'm not talking about an abusive relationship that you're trying to separate yourself. Okay. I'm asking, you were close to someone, and we're not talking about abuse or nothing like that. You were close to someone, but now it's difficult for you to even speak to them. It's difficult for you to even speak to them. Then I submit to you, it never was real love. It never was real love. I can see people who were once members of my church, Faith Chapel. They're no longer members of my church. And I can honestly say 
I'm just, I'm happy to see them. I am happy to see them. I'm happy to see them. Are you, can you speak to people that you once were close to? Is it difficult for you to even speak to them? Then I submit to you that it never was real love. Now I got uh, two questions. Is this saying true? Love is what love does. I think, I think that that is a true statement. I think love is evidenced by actions. It's not just evidenced by words. So I would agree with that. Love is what love does. I would, I would agree with that. Second question, how do I respond when I don't get my way? You respond by realizing that others need to get their way. So you straighten up your face, don't get offended at the person, and you allow others to get their way. In other words, you understand that relationships are mutual. It's mutual. It's, it, it's give and it's take. It's you. We're going to follow your way, your preference. You're going to follow my preference. And that's how you respond. You go into the relationship not expecting, because that's an unrealistic, ungodly expectation to get your way all the time. So you respond in love. You respond in love. You yield to others getting their way. You rejoice with others getting their way. And you have to do it by faith sometimes. But as time goes on, you grow, see. As you grow, you expect others to get their way. So, yes. Do you think there is a need? Here's a question coming in now. Do you think there is a needed time where people may not need to speak to those they were once close to? The only way, this, this is a good question. Do you think there's a needed time where people may not need to speak to those they were once close to, such as after initial breakup? Well, here, remember now, we're not talking reconciliation. I'm not talking reconciliation. I'm talking speaking to the person. I'm not saying you have to trust the person. I'm not saying that you have to re-reconcile. I'm saying, why can't you speak to that person? Y'all broke up. Why can't you speak to that person? If it was someone that you really was close to, I can't even imagine having a friend and I'm real close to that person, and we break up for whatever reason, and I don't even want to speak to them. I don't want to speak to them. I can't even imagine that as a believer. I mean, I, I, I don't. That's the way the world functions. The world cut off. Period. We're not going to say nothing. I see you. I'm going another direction. Why can't I say, "Hey, how are you doing?" It doesn't mean we reconcile or whatever. Why can't I be polite? Why can't I be warm? Why can't I be caring? You do want the person to do well in life, don't you? You should. If, if the love of God is on the inside of you and is manifesting in you, we don't always do what's right, but God keep loving us. 
Why can't we keep loving people? We don't have to trust them. We don't have to be reconciled. But why can't we show love to a person that we're not going to get back together? Let me put it like this. If, and this is a great question, and I'm so glad, so I'm not, I'm not putting this person down. I think this is a great question because I see this a lot. I see people who are once close, they don't even speak. There are people, listen, I don't walk around with names in my head, so I'm not thinking about this. I can tell there are some people who struggle even speaking to me. And I was their pastor. I was their pastor. And maybe they were led of God to go somewhere else. And that's not bad. It's not a rejection of me. I don't see it as a rejection of me. It's not even a rejection of Faith Chapel. If God led you to go somewhere else, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. If I'm teaching you to follow God, there's nothing wrong. And there's no reason why we can't see each other, hug each other, high five each other. How you doing? There's nothing wrong with that. But I see people, they struggle with that. They struggle to even speak. I don't, I, I don't see, I don't understand the difference between that and the world. I don't, I don't, I don't, that's worldly to me. I think that we should respond differently in breakups. I think the world should see how we break up and it be a testimony of the love of God on the inside of us. I do not see the difference between Christians breaking up and sinners breaking up. And I'm saying there should be a difference even in when we break up, okay? We just decide that we're not going to continue the relationship. We don't have to be enemies. We don't have to hate each other. We can still want each other to win because at, at one time we were close. So if, if we can't even speak now, then it wasn't real love. It really wasn't. It was counterfeit love it was worldly love uh is that is that happy to see others the same as being before your difficult encounter or faith <laughs> that's a good question this person said is it a happy to see the other person or is a or is a faith happy well naturally naturally listen i understand we're we're part emotions. We're we have a soul. We have emotions. We have feelings. Okay. So if we have a breakup, you and I are best friends. We have a breakup. Naturally, we're gonna have some feelings toward each other. Naturally, we we're gonna have that bad feeling. But 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 faith is acting on the word. It's not acting on what I feel. So yes. It is a faith happy, if you want to call that. It, I like to say it's a faith response, not a faith happy. It's a faith response because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to act out on the word, not on what we're feeling. And that's in any encounter. These are good questions. These are great questions. These are great questions. Listen, my time is up. I want to take a minute and, and reiterate some things that I said in closing. Next week is Thanksgiving. I pray that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving and you have to choose now to have peace. 
because I know some of you, you've had some difficult times and losses, but you have to choose to have peace. You have to choose it to have peace. I pray that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. We won't do a podcast during this coming following Tuesday, during that week. The following week on the 29th and the 6th, my wife is going to do a podcast on Tuesdays. And then, then we're going to celebrate our incoming pastor on December the 2nd, 6.30 at the Word Dome, a Passion the Torch monumental uh, thing going to go, and an ordination of our incoming pastor. And then we're going to break away from our podcast on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then in the the first week of the new year, we're going to come back Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And we got Thursdays, pardon me. And we're going to be teaching on leadership because we're going to be transitioning out. My son is going to be giving other insights to grow the flock. And I'm going to be dealing primarily with leadership. I want to thank you. If you spent, some of you have spent weeks and months and years following How to Win Podcast, and I want to thank you, and I pray for a supernatural return back to you, and we're going we're gonna to pick back up next year, and we're going to run strong with this leadership thing, and I believe it's going to be a blessing, but I just speak blessings, increase, and good over your life, and I thank you for being a part of this How to Win Podcast this year. In Jesus' name, amen.